Part of me feels like I just want to build something big. And I don't think I did that in the last company. And so there's just a hunger to almost prove myself a little bit. Momentum is the only thing that matters at a startup, I think. Yeah. And like, you can't kill your own momentum. What's more important at a startup is you make seven or eight decisions and get most of them right than to just make two or three decisions and get the second or third one right. Mm. That's okay if you're the leader of the market. Yeah. It's not okay if you're trying to catch up from behind. Most people, I think, buy crypto because it's almost like gambling, right? Crypto market news hasn't been great. You know, we had FTX, we had Luna, we had all these situations yeah. where crypto's like, I think reputation in the in the general industry is that it's, um, it's a scam. Okay, so James, welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you. It's good to see you back in the office. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the paper team has been in and out for uh, the last, what is it, month or two? Yep, yep. We, we've probably gone one month in F-Inc. and then two weeks back in the WeWork, and then we came back for a week, and then we went back for another two weeks now. So, so what's been happening? Man, like, you know, WeWork is always this place where, uh, I, when we, we first started the company, we had two people in, a, in my bedroom. And then when we moved up to four, we moved into like a tiny WeWork space. And then as we've been expanding now, we're about 12 people. We have like a corner office. Um, and in the beginning, honestly, I was a little surprised by everyone, why they were hating on WeWork. Because I was like, this is a great service, great product. Yeah. Uh, but as kind of the SF's been coming back alive a little bit, and there are more people coming back into the WeWork office, everything's just breaking down. Uh, the bathroom hasn't been fixed for two months. The oh, wow. you're, you're really putting them on blast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exposing everyone. <laughs> the kombucha, you know, you know, the one, one of the best. Bro, the kombucha. We were at the Berkeley. We worked. No kombucha. No kombucha. That's true. Yeah, that's no true. Kombucha. And you know, the worst part is just like heat. Heating is also not there. So oh, it's cold too. Oh, it's cold. Man. It's cool. So everybody's wearing jackets in the office, and then we the Wi-Fi doesn't work either. So y'all don't got Wi-Fi in the office. No Wi-Fi. No heat. Like, no bathroom, even got the no necessities. bathroom, no, no kombucha. Drinks. Dude, he's going to come back in two weeks and say the roof flew off. Yeah. <laughs> so at least running water? They're at least running water. Okay. 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 Yeah. And they got a game machine. They don't have, don't have a game machine. No. Which which building are you guys in? I'm in the... Um, 44? 44 Montgomery. Okay. Well, they have a ping pong table. They have a game machine? Oh, they, there is a ping pong table. Uh, two Embarcadero Center has uh, like an NBA gem. Got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so to back up a little bit, you're building paper. Yes. What is paper? Uh, we're basically building infrastructure for on-ramping. And I know that's like kind of a technical term, so I can dive into a little yes. bit. Wallets and payments are the two things we're focused on right now. When someone tries to buy a NFT today, the experience is pretty difficult. You have to understand that you need a wallet. And so how do you set up a wallet? You go use some browser extension, iPhone app that gives you essentially a seed phrase that you have to memorize down. You lose that seed phrase, everything's gone. Yeah. And then you have to on-ramp crypto. So where do you go on-ramp crypto? You go to Coinbase, go to Kraken, whatever exchange you're familiar with, and then you KYC, get some crypto into that exchange, and then you have to transfer that crypto into your wallet that you just set up. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, you know, have all these strings of addresses. And then if you happen to be buying an NFT that's not priced in, let's say, Ethereum or Solana or the native chain currency, you now have to buy... NFT uh, token that's native to whatever that NFT is. I'll give you an example. We helped Dead Mouse with his NFT called Head Five. Wow! It's uh, on Polygon, and so you need wrapped ETH to be able to buy this thing. 
And so the user has to do everything I just said before and also figure out how to bridge ETH from Ethereum to Polygon and then also take that bridged ETH and swap that with Matic gas tokens. So this whole thing, it's like eight different steps. They create this gigantic Notion file that was like educating people on how to do it and their conversion was terrible. Uh, and so now if you go to, you know, head5.io, which is Dead Mouse's thing, uh, the, there's only one button. The button says mint. It leads people to a paper checkout link. And with paper, the customer puts in an email, puts in their credit card, and they can buy the thing. Mm. None, none of this like crazy crap with seed phrases, layer twos, gas, on-ramping, KYC. How uh, much of that did you get? <laughs> How much like? Gas I got. Yeah? Yeah. What is gas? The gas fees? Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's really cool Because gas used to be wild, right? Like yeah. the fees. Yeah, bro. It's like ten dollars in Big Sur, or like seven dollars like per gallon. Okay. <laughs> I said ten dollars in Big Sur. No, you were but like, I yeah. watched one of my buddies mint an NFT. Like I don't know, this was a year or two ago. Yeah. But he would like it would say like one hundred and twenty bucks gas fee. He'd refresh it, go up to like three grand. Yeah, yeah. It, I don't think it ever got up to three grand, but okay. it's pretty. It's pretty crazy. You call me out on that. Yeah. <laughs> So at what point did you guys realize that this is what you wanted to build? Did it used to be something else? It actually it used to be something else. Uh, we were, so I, my background is in creator stuff. So really? yeah, my last company was called Revlo. We were trying to build a loyalty system for creators. Interesting. Uh, we were mostly servicing creators on Twitch. And uh, I think at some, at one point, 20, this is like 2015, uh, we had, I think, 80% of all the top 100 creators on Twitch using our loyalty system, wow. which was super cool. Yeah. Uh, we ended up getting acquired by Twitch uh, in 2016. And that's everyone kind of, sorry? Everyone in this office has been acquired Twitch, by Twitch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's how I first met Furcon and the F Inc guys, you know? Um, and so we, and so like, you know, I was there for two and a half years, uh, two years, actually, no, two years. And I wanted to kind of take what we built before. Now, like, want to do it again and when we we built this like streaming live streaming subscription product for creators um and as we were building it blockchain started to become more relevant yeah and i was kind of like wait it's pretty cool that the network that a creator owns doesn't have to be owned by the platform because you know if you think about all the creators today, they're very reliant on the platforms that True. they work with. The algorithms. Yeah, the algorithms, you know, we're all part of this game. Like, how do you use the algorithm to get up there? And if a, a platform decides that you as a creator is no longer something that fits with their values, they can just remove you. And if they do that, you're kind of screwed out of luck. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, like, blockchain being a public ledger that holds this information is pretty powerful. You know, what if every creator's social graph of their paid subscribers or even free fans were actually on the blockchain. Mm. And then no one would have to be decensored or like censored or like deplatformized at any time because if they do, you just take that graph somewhere else to a different platform that allows you to feed it in. And I think that's like really powerful. And so we kind of try to build a membership product for that problem we got like about 80 to 100 creators signing up for it, which is super fun. Everybody was like, you know, a year ago, everybody was excited about crypto. They want to try this thing. But the problem that I just kind of described earlier was facing every one of our creators. They're like, I'm interested in this tech, but none of my fans can even buy my NFTs. Like they, they come on, they have mm -hmm. to set up a wallet. And so we tried to kind of build all this stuff in house. We looked at a lot of our 
sort of competitors or not competitors, like infrastructure providers yeah. who are providing this kind of on-ramp infrastructure. And none of them are really good at the time. And so we ended up building our own. And so when we built our own, a lot of folks in the tech space took notice and they came to us and I was like, we don't really need all the other really cool creator features you, you, you've built. We just want the spin up wallets with email, buy an FTS credit card and like sell us that. We don't need like membership creation. We don't need art generation, all this kind of stuff. And so that's kind of how we started. Why did they not want that? Wouldn't that be useful? Uh, those are useful for like the creators themselves, but yeah. we end up working now with a lot of platforms um, mm. and platforms like they don't really care about membership tokens. Uh, they're using yeah. NFTs for like in-game assets. They're building competitors to what we were building before, which is like they might be building a creator platform or brand platform. Like we're really big fans of one of our customers, Uncut. Uh, they basically work with creators to launch these, turn their podcasts actually mm. into NFTs. Oh. Um, and something to think about it for here. Mm. Uh, and they, uh, they basically allow fans to support the creator by buying these NFTs. Yeah. And then the money gets pooled into essentially like a DAO that then the people who own the NFTs for these podcasts can kind of decide where they want the creator to spend that money. Gotcha. It's not a hundred percent, but like a small portion. So I think, I think there's a lot of cool things here around, you know, now the creator owns this graph of their fans. Um, that is not, that's decentralized. And so, yeah. So a technical question, which might be very dumb, but how would you store an hour long video, for example, on yeah. a blockchain? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think there's um, a lot of different places that, uh, the different ways of doing it. So there's like the super, super decentralized way, which is like IPFS and you put everything decentralized and then performance is generally a little bit more right. poor, but people are working on that. I know Third Web's working on stuff like that. I know like Pinata is always trying to get better and even Alchemy and some of these like infrastructure providers are providing betting better. But at the same time, the other way of uh, people are doing it, which is faster loading time, is they actually just store the video on a local server, like an AWS server, oh. and then just mm -hmm. point the NFT's metadata towards that address. So that's like not entirely decentralized. And I think that's kind of like, the interesting thing about crypto to me is everybody seems, not everybody, lots of people seem to be on like two ends. You either say everything should be decentralized or everything should be a database. Yeah. But I think like the exciting part of crypto is essentially somewhere in between where the parts that should be decentralized are and the benefits of, for example, being able to verify the ownership on some scarce digital asset, whether that's like a gaming skin you spent hundreds of dollars, a thousand dollars buying, or a graph to a creator like um, what we talked about. Then there are certain things that don't really need to be decentralized. Like if I buy a hamburger and I get a receipt for that hamburger, does that receipt <laughs> need to be decentralized on chain? Not really. And so like, I think there's properties of blockchain around verify ownership, around the decentralization that matters for use, certain use cases. But and a lot of times that, that, that can even be hidden away in the background without mm. having to expose that to the customer. And I think that's like one of, the, one of the things that we're the most excited about is crypto blockchain the back end, but uh, on the front end to the customer, it might just seem like a normal digital asset. So to take this creator example for a second. So, so let's say I'm like a YouTuber. I yeah. make college vlogs. I'm thinking of Elliot Troy right now. Okay. Um, what is the value in having my videos on the blockchain being mm. decentralized? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it's less about the videos being on the blockchain, but rather the fans who support you being able to claim that 
having supported that video or you as a creator. So I think back to an example, like I am like a, I play a lot of games and uh, I used to support this streamer when he was like really small and we had like 10 viewers and I was one of the first 10 viewers. And I, I just had a friend the other day who also now loves watching the streamer. And I was kind of like, you know, I actually support this creator when I was like, when he was like super small and he's like, oh, cool. Like, tell me more. And I was like, oh, you know, like I paid for his coaching lessons when he was like trying to make money. I like supported him as one of the first like subs. Yeah. And I was like, okay, let me try to find proof of this. So you can, I can show you like, it's a big part of my identity. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, let me look at my PayPal receipts. Like here, look at my PayPal receipt. Like, it's not that cool, you know? Like yeah, that's not yeah. a collectible. That's not like, you know, in, you know, if you, if you think about that, like in a, maybe a more uh, relatable example, like if you saw LeBron or Jordan or any of these athletes when they were, you know, n before they were big and you got them to sign a basketball or you had, you had like tickets to one of the, yeah. your favorite artists thing. Yeah. That's a lot cooler to keep as a memorabilia and show off as part of your identity than a, maybe, you know, like a receipt from a payment processor. Mm. And that's kind of like the world we're in right now where, you know, I think that a lot of this predicates, you know, I, I don't like this buzzword, but in a way, like what is the metaverse, right? Like is metaverse like this one place everybody hangs out or is metaverse just the fact that our digital identity is more important to us. And in a world where our digital identity is more important to us, where the people we support on the internet, the people that we spend time with on the internet, the achievements that we earn on the internet, uh, the things we buy, like, you know, you buy nice watches, nice cars, these things like kind of indicate some social status. Yeah. If those things matter on the internet and is your digital identity, you need some proof that you actually did get those things. Because it's really easy to just copy paste digital things today on the internet. Sure. And so, you know, I could screenshot a, a thing and say, oh yeah, I was yeah, like- Yeah, you can you know, screenshot something. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, yeah, that, that's me. But, you know, if it's not actually on chain, then it's not verifiable. Um, and so I think that that's, that's where, so, you know, I kind of get a long answer to sort of why does it matter to be online? I think it, it matters because for, for the viewers or for the supporters, it gives them something that they can keep, show off as part of the digital identity. And for the creator, now that creator still has my direct wallet address, which mm. is probably tied to an email or some kind of identity in the future that they can always kind of message me. And then that like identity is kind of kept as well. So let's take like, what does that actually look like? Let's take our podcast, for example. Mm -hmm. If we wanted to make it so that we dropped something so that, you know, we have, you know, the hopes is that at some point, six, year, six months to a year, the podcast will be much bigger than it is now. Mm -hmm. If we want to kind of do something related to an NFT or a blockchain yeah. to be able to, sh to let our early viewers show proof that they followed us, yeah. what does that actually look like? Are we talking about doing an NFT drop or is there something we can do more than that? Yeah, I think the simplest way to get started is NFT. There's like multiple ways of decentralization, right? Like one way you can say is we're going to do an NFT drop and every week what there's like one or two, however many of the podcast episode badges that you kind of create. Uh, you can use Third Web to create the NFT. You could use, you know, platforms that already do it for you. Um, and then you will be able to have your fans either buy the NFT with a credit card through paper or to support you guys, or just airdrop it for free to their wallet address, which is also something that we support. Um, and then as you guys are getting bigger over time, those original fans who hold those collectibles, yeah. there's things you can do. You can kind of say, hey, um, I think this is the other really interesting piece about crypto. One is you can always go back to those customers and say, now you can get access to special behind the scenes content if you hold this NFT and that 
customer or fan can either yeah. hold it themselves or transfer it to someone else. Uh, alternatively, um, you can also partner with other people. And that's like interoperability is this also other buzzword that gets brought up a lot in blockchain. But this is the idea that everybody can access your graph and provide benefits to the people who hold those things. Someone could go and say, well, people who are big fans of the doc are probably also big fans of this new form of, like, or this other podcast that is targeted towards young founders mm. or folks looking to get bigger. And then the people who hold those NFTs can then proof, show proof of ownership and then get some benefits from those partners. And so, you know, when you think about like credit cards is probably the simplest way to think about this like relationship. It's like with credit cards, if you had like a Chase Sapphire Reserve or AMX Platinum, yeah. you get a lot of benefits from different partners. But those like benefits only occur if the BD guy at Amex talks to another BD person at some other company. Yeah. With the blockchain, that graph is open. So now anybody can say, if you're an Amex Plat owner or you are a doc supporter, they can get whatever benefits. And so it provides a sort of just more utility because it's a way for them to get customers. Do, do you know about Dapper? Dapper Labs? Dapper, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you differentiate this between an investment and a collectible? Because- their issue was when it dropped, all these things were worth so much money, these NBA highlights, these moments, yeah, right? Yeah. And as soon as the value of Ethereum started dropping and, and crypto, mm. the value of all of the collectibles dropped. Yeah. And Dapper's claim was, well, these are collectibles. We're offering you things like courtside seats for certain packages, whatever yeah. you own. There's a collector score. They tried to make it a collectible atmosphere and they lost like at least half of their user engagement because people were viewing it as an investment yeah and they were pissed when the value dropped like yeah. are, are you seeing that yeah yeah no it's a really good question so like i think um there's like two parts of crypto like speculative uh where it's like an investment and then the other part is like utility right and i think it's it's it's, it's unfortunately where speculation ends up driving a lot of utility and yeah. so it's like you know i think about ethereum all this research into zero knowledge proof rollups, all this like research into like MPC security, none of this would have mattered if there was no speculative money in the space. Uh, like, you know, people bought, most people I think buy crypto because it's almost like gambling, right? It's like mm. a more volatile asset class. Is that why you buy crypto? Is that why I buy crypto? Because it's like gambling? <laughs> no. No, because you have a good reason for buying crypto. What is my reason for buying crypto? Tell me. Well, you 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 believe in the technology and you view it as a long term investment, yeah. I do, yeah. So I I dollar cost average because okay. I do think that at some point Ethereum and Bitcoin specifically will be more mainstream use case. Well, I think Bitcoin will just be a good store of value. I yeah. think there will all be uh, always be enough people on the platform making the value go higher, so that it would beat out the dollar of just like leaving it. Uh, it would beat out leaving it in a bank. Mm -hmm. And then for Ethereum, I just see a lot of really smart people that are my friends building on top of Ethereum. Yeah. Um. So it's almost like betting on them. Yeah, totally. Betting I, is the wrong word, but <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think the reality is a lot of the money in this space is betting. Like you're not like folks buy things because they think it, money will go up, not because they care about whatever utility the thing brings. I yeah. think, but that, that's like kind of why I think the customers that we work with is very different compared to people buying speculative asset. For example, we work with a big gaming studio called Tilting Point. Um, and they had this chess game, right? It's just a chess game. Um, but in the chess game, instead of like, you know, normally when you play games, you can buy skins. So yeah. now in this game, the skins and the champions and the power-ups are NFTs instead mm -hmm. of 
you know, just a database entry. So the yeah. question is like, why does that matter? Yeah. Um, well, two things. One is if you don't play the game anymore, if you don't want to play the game anymore, or you have friends that you want to play the game, you can just now actually transfer them the skin or the asset, which mm. is kind of cool because I've spent thousands of dollars in games at this point. And whenever I stop playing or try to bring a friend in, it's always like, ah, shit, like, let me really convince you to like play here versus I would love to be like, hey, let me just give you one of the things that I have to get, yeah. help you get started. Yeah. That, that's kind of like, you know, in real life, right? If you really like a sport, you want to bring your friends into the sport, you don't go and say, hey, you have to start from scratch. You're like, hey, I'll give lend you a racket or I'll lend you some like equipment sure. or like, you know, whereas like the world today and a lot of these digital playgrounds are super closed. They're very much like 100% control goes to the publisher, the platform, and I think that has to change. And I think that's why it's like being a little bit difficult to um, get a lot of adoption because, and why crypto a lot of times today is driven by developers is ultimately the experience is actually better for consumers. Like imagine every digital asset you own and you actually owned it versus someone else can revoke that ownership away from you anytime. Mm. That's like a strictly better, it's strictly better for you because you can now like, Maybe you're like, you know, it's like, I own this bottle of water. I'm not going to go on the secondary market and sell it. Like, that doesn't make sense. It's not a speculative asset. But at least it's like, you know, I can drink it if my, you know, if you want to drink this, you can drink this. Like, like you know, like, my point is, if the if the virtual world is like the physical world, it's where you actually own the things that you are have under your account. It's strictly better because it unlocks things like transferring and selling, which doesn't exist very much at all in the digital world today. And so, but the problem is, we're so used to this world where the platforms control everything mm. that we don't even think about the benefits of, of those pieces. And so developers who are coming in and trying to build in the space, they're competing against these behemoths, hoping that it's, and, and it's kind of interesting, right? Like I know like a lot of Web3 games today are not as exciting as like AAA games. They're very much like, you know, you saw like, uh, you know, the, the Bored Apes guys just made a game and it's just like a, it's got a tunnel racer where like, and then, you know, it's yeah. like, there was a hundred million. They've raised like what? Like, I don't remember how much they raised, but hundreds of millions. Do you know of how much dollars? they spent on it? I don't yeah. know how much they spent on it. Cause it's really expensive to make these games, right? At a good quality. Yeah. But this game that they made, was not that good quality. Uh, <laughs> I think okay. that's the thing. It's like a flash game. It's got like it. a flash game that reminds you of like a game you played in like 2010 or something. Mm. Um, but you're right. And that big game, like these good games take a lot of time to build. Yeah. Um, and so I think like, if these games can get to a similar quality as the games that are built under these closed ecosystems, then I do think a large percentage of consumers will choose to play those games because they don't feel like everything they own is like locked behind that developers will, you know? Yeah, I also think blockchain games will sometimes, they will over-index on the fact that they're a blockchain game. It's like saying, hey, use Instagram, it's built on React Native. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, AWS backend or whatever. Um, and they think that just because it's a blockchain game, that's inherently enough to bring in users that are sticky. And Yeah, I think that's the problem, right? It's like it does bring in users, but those users are not there to play the game. They're yeah. there to speculate on the asset. And that's like, a, you know, we've taken a pretty unique approach on this. Like we're focused. Like we try to focus our product on customers who are trying to focus on the utility of the crypto versus the speculative asset of crypto. Explain that. You yeah. said they're not focused on the game. They're focused. Yeah. So like, you know. When I say I like to play team fight tactics or when I like to play Overwatch, I'm playing because I like the gameplay loop. Yeah. Right. Or even when I support a creator, 
I'm supporting the creator because I like their music. I like their art. Sure. Um, a lot of times in crypto today, people will buy a creator's thing not because they're like, big fan of this creator. I love their work. I want to support them. But more like, I think this thing they made will be like 5X mm. next week. And so you just have a lot, like that. that's what I mean by like speculative. This goes back to the dapper thing. Yeah, of yeah Like I'm exactly. buying the highlight because I think it's going to be worth a lot, not because I love this player. I love or, this player yeah. or I love this moment or yeah. like I want to get access to the court. Like, you know, these speculators sometimes don't even care, right? They're, they're traders. Now, mm. I, I don't want to like say that they're like, they're not a good segment because they're ultimately the reason why this industry has gotten started in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just think like for us, our like segmentation, um, you know, we we have the only solution on the market that is more like customizable and white labeled compared to everyone else. And the reason why we did that was because when we service customers like Even, Uncut, Tilting Point, you know, these like games who are trying to onboard people to say, hey, you should play this thing because the, the, the game is fun. Or yeah. Because you want to support this artist or this podcaster. They're not pulling people in to say this crypto. So underneath is just an email address and you're using a credit card to buy like a $20, $30 NFT uh, that represents a album, represents a game asset. And mm -hmm. then afterwards, they introduce you into the crypto kind of tell, tell you, hey, you can actually like, trade this in other places. Mm. Um, and that's like the big, I think, approach difference for us versus our other competitors who are more like, before you can like do anything with our on-ramp infrastructure, you have to first create a wallet. Here's what a wallet is. Then And, and so like they put crypto super up front because they're like targeting the more like traders where we're trying to target more of the general audience who doesn't care if it's uh, crypto. That's so interesting because uh, Tops did an MLB drop. This was during COVID okay. for like their first NFT packs. Mm. And they made everyone yet to buy wax. Oh, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. I assume you guys know. Yeah. And then yeah. you had to have a MetaMask wallet. But we're all like, yo, we're like baseball fans. Like, we live in the 60s. Like, yeah. No one under the age of 50 <laughs> watches this. And me. Yeah. And, it's and like, me, he says. But it's like, we don't own, like, no one owns crypto, right? Yeah. Nobody even knows. Very few people even knew about Coinbase. And they're oh, asking us well, to buy, like, wallets and wax. And we're yeah. like, yo, what is happening? I'm, like, trying to put my credit card. It's just getting rejected. Michelle's like, take my money. I yeah. want to like be scammed. Like, we're literally, yeah, it's like 0. 0.2 wax. We're like, yo, what is happening here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it, you know? It's like, it's like, it should just be, you create an email account, and then you spend $20. And yeah. whether it's crypto underneath or not, you don't have to be exposed to that until, let's say, one day you're like, you know what? This collectible is kind of cool. I wonder if other people want to buy it. Then, you know, you can connect your email to a different marketplace that allows you to like list it or sell it. So you're saying slowly evolve it where I'm getting more educated about it yeah. as we go along? Yeah, or or even to, I, I think there's like, this is kind of what I was saying in the, with like onboarding versus yeah. versus like, is this the final, like what is the final destination? Is the final destination that everybody owns a wallet and everybody understands what crypto is and everybody understands layer one, layer two, gas? No, right? No. I think, I think, you know, what I would love is if you actually, with these baseball cards, use your email, mm -hmm. use your credit card. And then if you want to sell it to other people, there's all these websites that supports you just logging in with your email. Yeah. And then you can sell it for a USD that you can then put into your bank account. Yeah, I would love that too, because I don't know where they exist now. <laughs> <laughs> I have like packs, all these cards I open, yeah. and I have no idea how to access it now. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what we're trying to build, right? We're trying to build this like crypto in the back end. And on the front end, it's just all this stuff people are already familiar with. Because I think if crypto is truly going to be big, it can't be this like 
super niche thing that everybody like everybody needs to become super technical to understand. They should just email, credit card. Yeah, that's it. So I have an idea now. I'm curious to hear what you think. We we talk about you know potentially doing a live podcast at some point, or potentially doing a clothing brand or like a, a merch drop in like months. Yeah. What if we put like a mint button, mm. mint dollar sign like the doc or the doc? Yeah. As the currency name on our website, it would be it would use paper, right? And so essentially all it would do is in the future they get access they would be the only people to get access to merch they'd be the only people who get invited to live podcasts for Mm -hmm. example i'm just trying to think about how we could use this in like the creator or or how to use this in our use case what's the difference between that and patreon Mm. yeah great question why use and i'm asking i mean that's a good question yeah yeah yeah. and 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 i think that's like uh you know the one way to think about the blockchain is just it's a public database maybe that's like one way to think about it it's like you know, if you were to do this on Patreon, Substack, YouTube, you yeah. run into the same platform issues where it's like, okay, Patreon can raise their rates. They can say 15%, 20%, 25%. Uh, yeah. And you, you, you as a creator, like, what are you going to do? Mm. You know, you don't have your graph of fans. Um, if you, for example, want another service to integrate. So like, let's say you guys do get really big and you're like, hey, this service, I want you to offer some benefits. Like maybe it's like... Um, Let's say it's like another clothing brand. The ones you go want to do a collab with another clothing brand. Sure. Now it's like, okay, if you're a Patreon sub, you get 5% off. So then when, would you, I guess you have to go to your Patreon wall, tell people, hey, look, make sure you use this code yeah. to like on this website to do this. But then, you know, if you truly only want your fans who are on Patreon to get some really unique benefits, there's no way for that clothing brand to verify that someone's a Patreon subscriber unless they built a Patreon integration. Whereas... You know, in the mm. case if they just own these NFTs, they don't they don't need permission. They don't need anybody to give them access to that list. You can yeah. just tell them, hey, if anybody holds this token contract address, they can get these things. So so like in terms of like what's the difference? I think it's just if Patreon allowed you guys to access the exact list of your subscribers on Patreon and made it really easy for anyone to be able to connect to that graph and offer benefits to the customers, mm. it would be the same. But, you know, Patreon or Substack, their incentive is not really entirely aligned with the creator all the time. They're trying yeah. to make more money, so they might want to hike up rates, they might want to change conditions and rules. You know, whereas with the blockchain, they're not, that, that's not going to change. What about the legal issues? Because like, do, do you know about Logan Paul's NFT drop at all? I, well, that's different. That's different. That's different. Because that's like him promising something and then abandoning quote-unquote abandoning a project so that's like, less about the technical aspect that's much less about oh, technical. Okay. that's yeah. just like him okay. that he could have put that on amazon right he could have just said hey buy this thing buy this game because it was a game yeah right and then just not made the game because like the sentiment i mean i think you're aware of the sentiment of yes. crypto and yeah, creators yeah. you know pumping crypto yeah, pumping like, dumping totally how yeah. do you how do you set as like as you're marketing your company right yeah, yeah, yeah. how do you separate the two yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's tough. I'm gonna be honest. It it's made it tough yeah. to do a lot of things. I mean, the crypto market news hasn't been great. You know, we had FTX, we had Luna, we had all of these situations yeah. where crypto's like I think reputation in the in the general industry is that it's um it's a scam. And I think like when we think about we we we, we try to be pretty careful of who we work with mm. and um and we try to kind of work with projects that are actually providing, you know, real utility in gaming, like, or creators actually doing cool things with their fans. And one kind of way to tell 
is also just the price of these things. Mm. A lot of the things, like a lot of the customers we work with, we work a lot with developers and platforms versus creators directly. Sure. Um, they're like ticket price is like 20 to $50. And so like, you're not pumping and dumping a 20, $50 uh, yeah. thing, you know? Mm. Whereas when the, the speculative projects, they're like $700, $800, yeah. $1,000, $1,500, you sure. know, stuff. And so you know, we did a really great job drop this morning with like a creator and she's like a very well-known artist and, um, and, and, you know, her things were like $800 each. So they were a little bit more expensive, but you know, she's also like from the fine arts community and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so, and, and so I think like over time from like a sales perspective too, as we're like working with customers, you kind of develop a better eye for like who's, who's like pumping and dumping and who's actually trying to build something. And, you know, we just try our best to only like to, to work with the the projects that we think are actually. So you're doing the due diligence on, on vetting these creators. Are you also offering, mm -hmm. I guess, advice on how to execute these things? And just like what you explained, is that what you guys are offering? Yeah. So yeah. like in terms of consulting or like, you know, um, that kind of, we don't generally provide that. And yeah. the reason just being is it's most of our, most of our customers are platforms and brands. So like, yeah they are the ones who are building platforms that do consulting with um, those things. So mm -hmm. for example, like we don't, we work with a couple of games, but we also work with this company called Fractal, you know, Justin Constant. Yeah. yeah. So Justin's one of our investors and, you know, his, uh, the Cup Fractal is also one of our customers and they provide a lot of these like consulting services to their games, but mm -hmm. we're like the infrastructure layer underneath. And Got so it. that's kind of the position we've taken because ultimately, look, I've been in the creator industry for, a long time, but I'm not a creator myself. Yeah. I, I, I haven't, I mean, I've streamed a little bit on Twitch. I had like 40, 50 viewers, you know, it was nice. People were what watching did you me. stream? Streamed Overwatch. Nice. Um, were you good? I was pretty good. I was pretty good. <laughs> I was got up to, uh, got up to Grandmaster, just hit top 500 once and then never, never did that again. But, uh, <laughs> so I stopped playing, I hit it and I stopped playing. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, you Is know, it hard to keep hitting it or you rank once you get there? No, so it's one of these things where if you get to like any of the top 500 or challenge, like you have to maintain a certain amount of um, like ELO. Mm. And so like you have to keep winning. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I did it really early on in the season when the pros haven't played that much yet. Mm. And so that's how I hit top 500. Gotcha. But then after that, I was like, I've peaked in my gaming career. I don't think I ever get better. Mm. But, you know, point is, it's like, I don't think I've, I, I've ever been a real creator. And so, you know, I've always been a developer. I've built stuff since I was young. You know, my, my first thing I built was, um, I was basically like, uh, are, are you guys familiar with a game called Maple Story? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Heard of it. Heard of it. Anyway, so, yeah. you know. What I, is it? It's like a MMORPG. So it's okay. like, you know, you you just play as a character level. Blah, blah, blah. So we, I, I was like building essentially bots for Maple Story. Mm. Uh, and, and like a lot of, a lot of sort of, I've, I've been building stuff since I was young. You know, I built like a, when I was like studying for, I, I went, I grew up in China and then moved to Canada and then went to the U.S. for school. So when I was studying for like exams, I was like for the like SATs and all that kind of stuff. I was like, this is a cool opportunity. So I built like a cool learning app. So I've always been building stuff since I was young. Yeah. And I, I just felt like as we were like building these products, like ultimately I'm able to relate to the customers a lot more if I'm building for developers and builders as mm. opposed to building for creators. And I'd rather people who are actual creators who also are developers be built for, 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 uh, for creators. And so, you know, when we think about our DNA, like most of our team has technical background. When we think about our product, I think we have the most developer friendly product because we're all developers ourselves. And when I was building creator companies, whether it was Revlo or our, the first version of this company, 
there's always this sense of imposter syndrome where you're like, jump on a customer call and they tell you something. And you're like, this is a little bit different than like what I believe in. And then you're like, but you know, it's important to build what the customer wants. Yeah. And then you kind of like end up in a lot of like decision paralysis because if you don't truly understand the customer, you just get pulled in different directions because every customer wants something different. Whereas with developers, it's like I'm able to have a much better discussion with them. And even if they say, hey, I want this thing, I can be like, hey, have you considered the alternative? Because these are the benefits of it. I can't yeah. have that kind of discussion with creators because I haven't been one. Um, and so like, I think, you know, of all the teams out there we have, we're like pretty uniquely positioned to solve this problem really well. And so that's why like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about building for the developers and, and not, not really trying to be something I'm not, I'm mm. providing expertise on how to be like a better creator to creators. Makes you know? sense. And then how do you, how does Founders Inc fit in, right? When, when you guys are thinking of strategy advice, give us, give, give us some good nuggets for Khan has maybe given you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, Furkan is Furkan's great. I think like out of, uh, on our cap table, he's one of the most helpful investors. Um, we actually meet with him every week for about an hour, hour and a half, depending on kind of how urgent things are. <laughs> um, I think the thing with Furkan is one of the nuggets that I, I really like about him. He's kind of told me about the bell curve meme before it became a meme. Yeah. You know, like I think a lot of times, especially when you, have somewhat of a working experience at bigger companies, you try to fit things into these perfect frameworks. You know, the whole first principle thinking, you know, mental models, all the things that like Silicon Valley likes to kind of push people. To. And I think those are really good in terms of like, you know, when you're making a tough decision, it's, it is important to like use that as a tool yeah. to make decisions. But sometimes, you know, it's easy to lean into it too much. Like this customer segment, doesn't necessarily fit exactly into my perfect mental model of segments. Yeah. Should we like service this customer or not? Or this person that we're looking to hire doesn't check all the boxes of what we believe is the perfect cultural fit. Mm. Should we like hire this person? And I, and I think like there is always like an optimal world where everything goes exactly according to plan, but startups are really messy, right? Startups are really messy. Um, things are always changing all the time. Your strategy changes based on the market, changes based on competitors, changes based on what your customers are saying. And I think the thing that Furcon's driven into us early as like an investor is just focus on growth, focus on, on building momentum and don't spend too much time being the guy with glasses in the middle, you know, yeah. trying to like extrapolate and interpolate and like create, draw lines and make predictions because ultimately the only thing that matters is your customers and whether or not they're bringing you business. Mm. And, and so that's something I think Furcon's really, really good at. It brings a lot of clarity. I think a lot of times I'd go into a meeting with him you know, feeling like, oh my God, I have like five, 50 million problems. Like help me solve this. He'd be like, like what really matters here? Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're right. You know, of the 50 million problems, maybe two matters. And we should just focus on those two problems. Mm. And is that impacting how you're building the team? Because we know a few, few of the people you have, Safwan, yeah, or Priya, you got some characters. Yeah, yeah. Out I mean, there. <laughs> you know, I think like people with unconventional backgrounds yeah. are, um, I think, really great people. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think we've got a really strong team because they people you know who don't fit into these perfect boxes usually have a lot of hunger, a lot of curiosity, a lot of drive, and and that's like what matters a lot more at startups. Like we've had. You know, I've worked with a, when I was at Twitch, you know, it's yeah. part of Amazon. So we worked with a lot of really, really smart people who are really effective in large organizations. And those are usually people who are really good 
at explaining things in like very articulate ways that are packaged perfectly into boxes. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, in those environments, you're trying to t- make a number go from, you know, hundreds of millions to hundreds of millions plus 2%. Mm. And so like the small things matter a lot more versus at a startup, you know, you're just trying to survive. You're just trying to like beat a bigger competitor. And so, yeah. you know, on, on tiring talent, I think a lot of what we focus on nowadays is, and like, this is something I've learned over time is seniority, experience, perfect mental frameworks yeah. are not actually that useful. Um, they are useful in really important strategic decisions, mm. but there are so many decisions that are not really important strategic decisions. And most time at a startup, you just got to go. Um, and I think like Furcon kind of told me one thing and going back to that, that I always keep close with me is yes. You know, if you have the perfect mental framework, you might be able to make the third decision you make more correct. But what's more important at a startup is you make seven or eight decisions and get most of them right than to just make two or three decisions and get the second or third one right. Mm, yeah. Because there's, you just need to make, be make, you just gotta be moving. Otherwise you're spending all this time coming up with frameworks and analysis, you're just not gonna move. And like, that's okay if you're the leader of the market. Yeah. It's not okay if you're trying to catch up from behind. Um, so, yeah. So it works at Twitch, but it doesn't work. In, no. In, yeah. And I think those are actually some of the bad habits I had to shed a little bit. You know, like I, I the other day I was talking to my co-founder and he's like, James, you're not a product leader at Twitch anymore. You are the CEO of a company. You mm. got to just be doing whatever the company needs. Like, yes, I know you love thinking about product, thinking about like how we can make this user experience piece really good. But if ultimately what the company needs is something else, whether it's marketing or sales or like partnerships, you got to be spending your time doing that. Yes, yeah. it's messy, but you got to do it right. Mm. And so, um, yeah, that's that's definitely a, a thing I've I've had to like unlearn a little bit. I got you. Is that like similar advice you get from Justin Khan too? You know, it's uh, Justin, Justin is really, really good at marketing and growth. Mm. Um, he's, he's somebody I really look up to. Um, I think most, and you know, I, I worked together with him during YC as well. Like my first company uh, went through okay. YC. Yeah. Um, that's how we first built the connection. Yeah. I think the best founders I've learned are the people who focus on growth and focus on driving momentum. It's like momentum is the only thing that matters at a startup, I think. Yeah. And like, you can't kill your own momentum, even if that means you're maybe doing some custom work for an enterprise customer that might not be exactly who you thought your perfect customer is. Yeah. Even if it means that, you know, instead of, you know, this perfect process you set up for sales, you're going to an event just to be able to catch this person between their speaking events. Like, it's like, yeah, like most things just don't end up playing out perfectly according to plan. You just got to kind of adapt and make momentum happen. Mm. And then are you guys, are you guys thinking about events at all? Like, I know Denver's coming up. Yeah, yeah. You've we, been to Denver. Yeah. Are you, are you a fan like Denver? It was interesting. Um, <laughs> I had a lot of fun. I saw a lot of my friends there. Uh, it was, so I, I forget how it was laid out, but it was like, there was a castle, right? And yeah, there yeah, was yeah. like the main, if, yeah. like the hotel, the art lobby or yeah, the art yeah, the hotel. Art lobby, yeah, our hotel. Yeah. Um, and so walking down that street, I would run into someone I knew from like some random place in the country. Like oh, every, really? Like, block. Every block, it was like someone else I knew. <laughs> wow. Um, which was well interesting. Connected. No, it was, uh, it was the same. Like I, I know very few people like, well enough. I know very same few people. Five people. It's like the same, like 10 people from like some of them in New York, some of them from Canada, some of okay. them from Berkeley, some of them from SF. Um, and I remember walking down, I was like, I did not know any of these people were going to be here. Wow. So like, this is probably a security risk at some point. Um, <laughs> I just remember everyone got sick. So yeah. like I saw Twitter for like the week after, which is everyone was like in bed. 
I had 104 fever. I went to the <laughs> hospital. My friend had like 102 fever. He didn't get out of bed for a week. Oh, man. Um, and even now I saw, like, for example, Rick Burton. He was like, yo, I love East Denver, but like all of you guys get sick. So I am not going back this year. Oh, man. Uh, That's funny. <laughs> it's part of the reason I'm not going back this year. Probably. Oh, really? If oh. I don't go back, it'll be because I just don't want to get sick the week after. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, I know. We're, we're trying to do a little bit more. I think like crypto is also like because of how small it is, I think relationships matter a lot. Mm. Mm. And, um, you know, I don't think I've ever been in another industry where even like with creators, I mean, it's like it's a lot of like relationship building. But like this is even more important than crypto because it's so small and everybody is kind of like it's 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 there's some interesting parallels to gaming because I think there is this feeling of like a tribe a little bit, you know, because yeah. everybody else kind of looks at the space and say, you guys are weirdos. You guys are kind of like bad. And it's a kind of gaming in the early days too. You know, mm. back, I remember back in the day, if you were like a gamer, people were like, ah, oh, you should probably like, you know, stay, play games yeah, in your mom's yeah. basement and eat pizza all day. <laughs> you know, now now with like crypto, it's like, oh, you're probably like a scammer. Like you're probably yeah. like, uh, you know what? Do you really think that's like the mainstream perception of it? I, I think so. You think so? Yeah. I think, um, I think it's changed. It was changed about a year ago. Yeah. When things are going well. Um, and just, there's just too many big blows. You know, we had like, the three arrow capital thing, then FTX. Yeah. FTX, I think was definitely like the biggest, you know, problem. Final blow. Final blow because Washington was, you know, big with, you know, SBF. Like everybody saw him as the golden child of regulation. FTX had an arena. They had all these celebrities, you know, talk about this stuff. And so I think that right now that's what the public perception is. Why so, do you think that's so different from like the dot-com bubble, hmm. res- uh, housing crisis, all the financial companies that collapse on like a <laughs> weekly basis? But so, seriously, like, because if you really dig through it, there's way more it's true. dirt and skeletons in traditional finance. But I mean, anytime something happens in crypto, it becomes uh, a national story and a meme. Yeah. You know, that's really interesting. I, you know, I was talking with someone about comparing like how much money people lost in like these different kind of events. And I think part of it is the protection for the average person. Uh, like, you know, like Bernie Madoff ran off with a lot of money. Just thinking about that. But, yeah. you know, the people that did invest in his thing, I know it's not like there is a lot more people affected from like ripple effects, but you know, it's a lot of institutional investors. Yep. Well, it's a lot of billionaires. Let's like, call it what yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, housing crisis, you know, the subprime mortgage was a big problem. Lots of folks who were average people yeah. also got hurt by that. But, you know, at least like in both these situations, the governments kind of came in, bailed some people out. And there was some protections in place around like, you know, SEC. There was some protection in place around who can, you know, access the asset. Mm. Crypto is, you know, part of the benefit of being decentralized is that, kind of just anybody can participate yeah and so i knew a lot of folks who were hurt really badly by like luna and ftx really they like just put a lot of their savings in Mm. and there was like no safeguard right there's no safeguard people were over leveraged people were hello that's is it buying on leverage is that the main yeah Yeah, i mean it's a lot of like i think a lot of crypto is leveraged like one thing collapsed there's another thing collapsed there's another thing collapsed Mm. and so yeah, I think I think that that's partially why it's just like more people who were average people were hurt, and because crypto is also harder to grasp. You know, like I know stocks is also kind of hard to grasp, but like how like again, Bernie Madoff's thing was like not I didn't think it's that big of a deal like for like average Joes, but like yeah. housing 
you can like kind of understand yeah. the value of housing. With crypto, a lot of it was like, because it was unregulated, people were like pumping, like, you know, like you talked about the Jake Paul thing. Mm-hmm. People were pumping and dumping. People were on like YouTube channels telling people to buy things. And yeah. it's like, nobody was the stopping These guys got, got caught for it. Ooh, right? that was yeah. Do you know, do you know, how much do you know about how the Mets owners were involved in Bernie's thing? I don't, I don't know. About, you don't know? I don't know how you want it. You'll, you'll get a kick out of this. So with the Wilpons, who owned the Mets, were um, one of uh, Madoff's biggest investors, right? So there was a player that was released in 2000 on the Mets and they owed him $5.9 million, right? Yeah. In 2000. So instead of paying out the 5.9 they owed him, they agreed to pay him $1.19 million every July 1st from 2011 to 2035 when he'll be 72 years old. Instead of paying him one point, sorry, instead of paying him the $5.9 million, Yeah. In 2000, one shot, they agreed from 2011 to 2035 to pay him 1.19 million, which is over almost 30 million, right? Yeah. They did that because the returns were so good for Madoff. They did the analysis and said, if we put that 5.9 million with Bernie, we'll make way more than whatever <laughs> we pay this guy from 2011 to 2035. That's crazy. So in sports, we call it Bobby Vanilla Day. Every July 1st, he gets paid <laughs> 1.19 million. It's one of the biggest jokes. <laughs> we have in sports but it's like like going back to what That's you said crazy. the thought process of will ponds these are smart i mean these are billionaires right yeah, that own a professional team like you like you said crypto the average person this is like like people just laugh like this is so stupid. so is, is, is the deal still on is he actually yes, still getting paid? he's still getting paid so oh it'll stop when he's 72 in 2035 so every july 1st oh 1.19 million hits his bank account That's and awesome. the agent should probably get the most credit for this yeah but it's like it's good the will ponds were like oh the madoff returns will exist forever yeah i i'll never i why would i give you six million now i can give you 30 million over the course of 30 years i'm making more yeah that. That's yeah. crazy. If I could yeah. get my salary like that, that would be nice. Right. So 150. You want to negotiate that? <laughs> it's probably a bigger red flag if they agree. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I, I, I was, um, you know, in like high school business class. I don't know if you guys ever took business class in high mm-hmm. school. They always teach you what a Ponzi scheme is. Yeah. And you're like, why would anybody fall for this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like seriously. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's like someone, and I, I specifically remember this example. Of someone, I think at the time, you know, I'm not very old. So I think this burning Matter thing already happened in high school. And they're like, yeah, like somebody's promising you like 50%, 80% ARR on your like money. Like, yeah. And you're like, yeah, obviously like money doesn't grow on trees. Mm-hmm. And then you look at, you know, what was happening in the crypto bubble of like these like DAOs that were returning like a thousand percent ARR, 800% ARR. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh yeah, like, and it's just like, wait. It's going to exist forever. It's going to exist forever. And it's like, it's so easy to be wrapped up in this stuff. Um, And so, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's rough. It's rough. Cause I think part of surviving the bull, like the bear market, you know, we've we've seen so many of our competitors fold. Yeah. In the last two months. Really? Last two months. Two months. Uh, I I mean, let me think about it. One, one company was like this, you know, company that raised lots of money you know, you guys know about this. Like the wire guys were going to, they were acqui- supposedly acquired by Bolt for a billion dollars. And then they are like, they said they were winding, they were shutting down. And then their CEO was saying they're running. But you know, it's that company kind of went tiny. And we know like three or four other kind of competitors were in this NFT checkout space mm. who also were like, oh, ran out of money, burn out too fast. And so, you know, I think part of surviving the, bear market is more than just having runway. Like we have enough runway for to last us for like years and years. And so yeah. we're fine. 
But what's hard is not, I think, the money piece. And like the, the folks we know that who folded, some of them actually still had millions of dollars in their bank account, but they just like gave up because it's, it's sucks, right? You know, like- How it, do you go? You just give the money back? You just give the money work? back. Yeah. yeah, just give the money back because it's like, you look at the graphs, you know, we're, we're so used to every week going like, you know, mm. now it's going like this. And for some people, you know, it's going like this. Like, it's like, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Um, so you, you can tell us when to buy, right? When sorry? To, you can tell us when the right time. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's, it's tough to time the market, um, <laughs> especially, especially when, our, when our NFTs are not trade, like not super speculative ones. Yeah. But, but that's part of your job here, right? Is long-term educating yeah. the public, even if it is a B2B yeah. product. Like you, you have to do your part in kind of dispelling the, yeah. the bad eggs. Yeah, and that's kind of, you know, my goal this year. You know, I think like one of uh, the perception, this is going back to the big company, small company thing. Like, you know, when I was uh, at Twitch, the thing that I was drilled, drilled in on as a product leader was that the best product wins. Mm. You know, it's like, it's all about being the better product. But when it's a startup, it's not about being the best product, you know? Like, yeah, I think we have one of the best product. That I think, I think objectively speaking, we have the best product on the market. No, I'm biased. Yeah, but <laughs> maybe a little bit. Maybe a little. Bit. Well, you said objectively, so I, I think objectively, you know, we have the most powerful developer tools, easiest to implement, and and you know, the most peace of mind from like a security architecture perspective. Mm. We have no single point of failure where like you know, if, even if we get hacked, nothing really happens to customers' assets. Wow, which is like pretty cool, you know. Yeah. So yeah. like objectively speaking, I think. Very good. Now, are we a mile above everyone else? Not really. You yeah. know, we're like one of the leaders in the space, but we're not like crushing everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason being is we haven't been loud enough. We haven't been telling people about why our product is awesome. We haven't been celebrating all this. Like we've worked with so many awesome brands, platforms, games. But you know, like the other day I was talking to like a company that works with a you know really big French fashion brand, okay? Okay. They haven't launched yet, so I can't say their name. But like, but we were telling them, hey, we've worked with all these other um, really cool folks, like, you know, big gaming studios. Mm -hmm. We've worked with esports brands like Fnatic. You know, we've uh, done uh, work with football clubs like Rio Batiste. Wow. Like, you know, like yeah. nobody knows about it. And it's like, it's because we don't talk about it. Mm. So um, we're trying to get get better at that. Is there a reason you don't talk about it? I think it's, you know, this is like- Culture? It's, uh, yeah, like yeah. we have a big, like very technical team. Mm. And so we we just want to be heads down and building because we thought that was the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this year, like, it's like, no, like we got to be loud. We got to be loud because if people don't know about you, they're not going to use you. And ultimately, I think even thinking back to our own experiences, a lot of times you use a product, you'll probably first try the thing that you've heard about. Yeah. And if that thing addresses 70%, 80% of your needs, even if it's not the best, you'll probably like, you probably won't do all the due diligence to find someone else. Yeah. So like, I think we can help our customers solve their NFT related problems better than anyone else. But you know, that extra 20%, 30% that we're doing is not being recognized. They don't even know we exist. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, that, yeah. So anyway, that was a big learning lesson for me as like a technical product person. Yeah. And so it's like, damn, you know, marketing and sales really, really important. And, and the money going around. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so there's a thing we do. I think this is a good segue. Um, we do this rapid fire section. Okay. And so now you're talking about like the best thing or the biggest thing you learned as like a technical product person. Mm -hmm. 
what is the best advice you've ever gotten from anyone in terms of building product? The best advice I've gotten about building product is probably from Emmett. So Emmett, founder of Twitch, you know, worked with him very closely. Um, you know, when we were there to launch, we basically took the product we had at, that we built at our startup, the mm -hmm. loyalty program, and launched it on Twitch. It's called Channel Points. You know, for anybody like who watches Twitch, it's like in ninety, I think ninety-seven percent of all the channels now. Yeah. It's like pretty awesome. And and like, I think as I was kind of building that product out, I learned a lot from him about like what it means to be. Uh, focused on the customer's needs. I think like Amazon has this really, really great philosophy, which is like work backwards from customers. And like, I know that's like a, you know, it's kind of cliche. And like, you know, honestly, I think a lot of really great advice is pretty cliche yeah. because they're universal truths. And, and the, the difference is how you like apply it. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think at Twitch, the customer focus really was, they had this really interesting problem, right? They have like, they're like a platform, they're two-sided. They've got creators and they got fans. They made a decision really early on that creators are the ultimate customers. And so if you're being pulled by two different directions in terms of what the customer wants, you should focus on the creators. Yeah. Mm. And like, I think, I think like that, like manacle focus almost on like obsessing over the thing that creators care about is something. And, and every question, like every time you make a decision and say, okay, how does this benefit the creators? How does this benefit the creators was something like we apply a lot at paper. It's like, we kind of say, okay, how does this, how does, what does, you know, this product change mean for our developers? Yeah. And then, and then secondarily, what does this mean for the viewers? And so a lot of times I think founders, people who are building product, you kind of get pulled into like your, ment your own mental model of the world. Mm. Doesn't really matter if it's not adding value to the end customer. And so really being focused on, understanding that customer need and being very specific on what that need is, the more specific, it, the better, you better, know, yeah. you know, it's like credit card with email, very specific. Right. Or mm. like, um, yeah. So. And then what's the worst advice you ever received about building product? <laughs> worst, worst <laughs> advice. I, I think generally I just try to wash away the, just forget the, the you know, the, the worst <laughs> advice. Um, I think like the worst advice, I like guess not about building product, but building a company that I think I've ever, received it's probably like writing everything down <laughs> like it is kind of like a yeah so at twitch we wrote product specs for every single thing that we did and um when i first started going back into startups uh what i would do is also put everything down into a spec now it's beneficial and again this is kind of what i said earlier it's like there are some decisions where that like clarity is important but then there's other places where you don't really need to exercise the level of clarity because the impact of that decision, if it's wrong, is um, is not that high. So I mean, maybe maybe let me like abstract to one level higher. Is at Amazon there was this one leadership principle, which is leaders are right most of the time. I while I think that's like nice, I actually don't really agree with it because. I think, you know, going back to like my earlier point, it's like, if you're trying to be right every single time, you just end up being really slow. Because I do think if you're slower, you'll end up being right more often than not. But if you are trying to be right every time, it just means you don't make any decisions. And so maybe maybe that's like a better way of saying yeah. the worst, worst advice I've gotten is like, I think there's this concept in my head that to be a good leader, you just have to be right almost all the time. Whereas I think it's more important that you create an environment that allows 
your team to make a lot of decisions mm. and be right more often than not on, mo- on more decisions yeah. than being right with a few decisions. Uh, maybe that, okay, maybe, you know, I come back here in a year and a half, a company is 10 times bigger. And I say, you know, now I have understood why that advice is good. And I think like, that's generally like my, my take on like advice is I don't think any advice is ever bad because I think when good intent, unless somebody's maliciously trying to tell you that, like to, to sabotage you, I think they, they probably have a personal experience that they've experienced where that advice was good. But the, the problem is just advice has so much context, you know, like yeah. context in like how, what, what the situation was, the time they like took that learning lesson, context in like maybe the space they're in, context in the, the people that they were working with, context in like the, the market, was it yeah. good or is it bad? And like a lot of times, if you just kind of take advice blindly, then it's like, doesn't work. And it's, there's very, very, very few universal truths that are true. So I think like good leaders are right most of the time, probably truer when it's a bigger ship and you don't, you're not trying to sink the Titanic. Mm. But if you're trying to build traction, grow, way more important to be right more often than not and just make more decisions. <laughs> that makes sense. And then what's the best thing you've ever spent your money on? I think, per, like, so I don't really spend much money buying stuff. I think the most expensive thing I bought was my car. Um, so I guess like- Okay, what do you drive? I, I just drive like a, a Model 3. Okay. And so like, uh, you know, classic San Francisco car. But <laughs> um, I, I think like for me, I guess this is like not super interesting from like a business perspective, but I really do like driving. I think buying a car was a good investment. Now, I don't know if, you know, buying a Tesla was the best investment because after I bought the car, they slashed prices by like 10% this year. I thought they hold value well. They Isn't did? The whole, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I bought it as I was first six months. I was like, oh my God, my car is like worth more than when I bought it. It's great. Mm. And then, you know, this year, Elon cut the price of everything by 15%. Mm. Um, so that was pretty bad. But, you know, I, I think like, I, I used like I grew up always in cities where I never needed to drive. Yeah. And so I always took public transit. Um, and in SF, public transit is good, but it doesn't like connect you to a bunch of places. And so yeah. I didn't realize and like, you know, how much, how many cool things there are in the city until I got a car because mm-hmm. I just like by default ruled out those options as activities to do. So oh, I guess, you know, recency bias, but in the last two years, my best investment was buying a car. <laughs> and then the, the last question I have, um, you sold a company to Twitch. Mm-hmm. Why did you get back and try building something again? There's like kind of two pieces to it. One is, you know, the selling company Twitch is, you know, it was an aqua hire. It wasn't like a big exit for everybody. And so like part of me feels like I just want to build something big. And I don't think I did that in the last company. Uh, and so there's just a hunger to almost prove myself a little bit, but like not, not to anybody else, but to myself that like I have the mm. capabilities to build something massive versus like having to give up part of the way. And I think that's like the same level of hunger for a lot of folks on the team. Like we have like my co-founder, Edward, he also had a small exit before. Also really passionate about building really big things. So it's kind of like, we feel like we have a small win on our belt, but like yeah. we haven't really proved to ourselves we can do something big. Mm-hmm. That's like part of the hunger. Um, two is like, I think like working with really great people. There's a lot of really, really great people at Twitch as well. But like, I feel like there are, you know, personalities that thrive in larger companies is different than personalities that thrive at smaller companies. Yeah. Um, and I just generally like 
the I think I generally resonate with folks who are more successful at smaller companies because they're just more, I think generally like they're a little bit more creative, they're more driven, they're more hungry. And so um, that's like part of the reason is like wanting to make sure every day I'm just like working with people and I'm like, holy shit, like this guy's or this 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 person is really, really awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then and then I think the the last piece is almost a little bit of feeling like I have more autonomy over what my destiny is. I yeah. feel like, and maybe this is just my personal experience, but at larger companies, years of experience matter a lot, mm. I think. And and pedigrees, like degrees you have, also matter a lot. Yeah. And so it felt like I had to like go through these like different types of paths to get to the goals I want versus like building my own path. And and like also and so, you know, like like that autonomy also mattered. And I think like I guess that's the last thing like is it's like I I generally I'm just pretty excited about where the world could be if people truly owned their digital things. Like I think that's a pretty exciting world. I think it's gonna be better for consumers. And yeah. and like, you know, I like I you know, for me, like because I play a lot of games and I spend a lot of my work my life digitally, you know, I, I've been I've been like I get a lot of my friends into playing games and I spend a lot of money and time there. And so being able to just say, hey, like I earned this thing that's like worth a lot because I like grinded for it. Yeah. And being able to like trade it out for some real money, mm. it's kind of nice, you know, being able to you know, when my girlfriend's playing some games, being able to say, hey, like, you know, we both play Genshin and I've like got these characters that I've like spent money on that I don't really like, but she really likes. Yeah. And so I'm like, I wish I could just transfer that over to mm. her so she can like have a stronger character. Mm. Can't do any of that because the game is greedy, which understandably so. And they want to control the supply and the monopoly of the yes, these assets. You know, that there is like, there's still a lot of like questions on how this all plays out because... I also understand the counter argument of people saying, well, if games don't have this entire control over the entire experience, yeah. then maybe they make less money. And if they make less money, then they can't make as good of a game. Mm. But I don't know. I tend to think like there's a happy medium somewhere mm. where like games can still make a lot of money and still have the resources to compete. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so like that's exciting to me. And I also really think about how growing up, I've always spent more time playing games than like hanging out with people in real life, like yeah. in the digital world. And I think that's like, you know, I know like everybody gives a lot of flack to Facebook because they're like trying to build the metaverse and they're getting like their stock price is getting like just shit on because yeah. of the, <laughs> because of like what they're doing. But I really also think that like the younger generation, the world is moving more and more towards a digital one. And so like being able to build a, a world where, or be a really big part of building the infrastructure for that, for like a new world is also kind of exciting, you know? Yeah. So like, I guess I know I gave a lot of reasons, but I think ultimately it's like the startup environment, it's more fun to me. And I'm very, very excited about kind of the future. And, and I think it's rare. I think it's very, very rare. I think AI is like an example of this too. Like there's very rarely like events that happen in the world that like truly change the way people live mm. and the way people work and i think like crypto is one of those like crypto metaverse whatever i think i think it's more like meta like it's more like metaverse is the big change and crypto is like the infrastructure that's needed to power that sure um like ai i think it's super interesting because i think like there's a world where we change the way we think about work kind of like the industrial revolution you know yeah. and so 
Um, both of these are like very exciting world changing events. And I feel like if I'm not playing a part in it um, and just being a cog in a machine, then it feels like I'm, I'm wasting my potential a little bit. Mm. So. so you talked a lot about gamer. You're a world-class athlete. Oh, I mean, I'm okay. <laughs> no, you are. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I used to play a lot of badminton. <laughs> you that- traveled to, uh, nas- internationally. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I was, uh, I, I, I think we, the, the best I got to was like, uh, I think second in Ontario for like um, badminton, like doubles, boys doubles. Yeah. So I was really young though. So I think I'm generally pretty good at racket sports. And then in college, I played um, played squash okay. <laughs> and on the college team. Uh, but I was like pretty much a sub, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot of parallels with sports and sports and, uh, sports and business. Give us one, give it, give it, give us the biggest parallel you see takeaway. I think the biggest one is just how, how combative it is. Mm. You know, I, this is like also something that I had to come around to as like a technical product yeah. founder. It's like, it's a fucking war out there. It's like yeah. dog fighting. Like, you know, it's like now I do Muay Thai. Yeah. And I like, you know, get in the ring with my coach and get my ass kicked and, you know, I try to kick some ass. But like, I think like we, when, when you're in a big company, you're insulated, from, especially when you're already a winner in the space. Yeah. It feels like everybody is competing, but you're just kind of like, there's the other, the other competitor on the other side. You kind of mm-hmm. look at each other in the eye, like awkwardly from time to time, yeah. but you keep doing your own thing. But startups, like people will do a lot of, you know, sometimes kind of questionable things to yeah. win. Um, and you kind of got to be prepared for it. You know, I think from, for, for us, our DNA makes us a little bit, I think, less aggressive. Uh, which means like we sometimes don't fight for a deal as much as like maybe one of our competitors. And we've yeah. like lost deals because of it. And like the way, so now we're kind of thinking about moving forward is like some, if you want to win in an ethical way in business, you yeah. kind of have to beat both the refs and the other team. Yeah. Because if you, if you're like, super proper and like you, you, you like, you know, also, you know, to be, to be, to be fair, let me, let me kind of like caveat this is I don't know if anybody is like malintentioned. I think people just have a different line of what they think Mm -hmm. is like the unspoken rules. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have like a pretty high ethical bar of like, you know, we don't ever, we try to not talk about our competitors in a way that's like, like, you know, us dissing them. We don't, we don't, we don't go and, uh, you know, do these things. Um, and you know, some companies have different rules for that. And I think like in sports, it's like, you know, there are rules that you should abide by that you absolutely shouldn't cross. And then there is also things like, you know, like, do you tackle someone a little bit more harsh than, than not, you know, these kind of things. And so that's like, I think the thing that I'm, I'm trying, which you do. Yeah. Yeah. There are rivalries. There are rivalries and people like get rough. It's an adversarial environment. Oh yeah. It's like, you know, I think, you know, I remember long time ago when I first got into crypto, I like had this tweet where it's like, oh man, it's like open pastures. Everybody is like working mm. together to beat the Dave, Dave and Goliath. We're yeah. all small Daves beating the Goliath. Yeah. And we're all like, let's all hold hands and be Kumbaya and like, you know, make crypto big. Yeah. There's a lot of that. But you know, when you're competing with someone, there's also not a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think as a, as a company, we're trying to find that identity a little bit. It's like how we need definitely to be more aggressive. Yeah. But like, to which extent do we feel like uh, conscientious of like what's right or wrong. Mm. Um, but anyway, that's, that's, yeah, you'd kinda... be a good coach. <laughs> You're a good friend. I want to hear like you, you guys is all hands calls. Cause I, I'm ready to run through the wall right now. <laughs> you point, you point me, shoot me. I'll, I'll run. I'll tackle whoever you want. <laughs> like, 
I appreciate that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, where can people Tell find you? You want me to hit him? <laughs> yeah. I mean, people can. Uh, yeah. If you want to follow me on uh, on Twitter, it's uh, uh, you know just James James Sun, but it's like James Z M Sun, I think. And then in terms of uh, our company account, it's just Paper Checkout. Um, yeah, that's probably the best way to find me. Uh, always down to chat. My DMs are open. So, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for inviting me on that show. Awesome. Of course. Well, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, do all the YouTube things. We will see you next week.